Laura. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. I'm pretty sure that my guest and I are on the same page about one thing. We may not always make an honest buck, but we don't work for no two-bit Nazi. So, Kevin, is The Rocketeer a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Uh, it has not been remade yet. I, it, there, supposedly, there is one in development, though. Yeah, you um, were telling me about that. I uh, completely forgot the name of the actor that was attached to it. Uh, was it David Ayello? It was. Yes, that's that's who it was. Uh, and it was going to be a take on, as a uh, Tuskegee Airman finding the jetpack. Yeah. But which is fun. But uh, I, I really think uh, I definitely think it's due for a remake. Yeah. Um, well, you also I known about this because I saw it on IMDb Pro, but they did in 2016 an animated version on Disney Plus. Yeah, that's kind of in name only. Oh, it uh, is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's not so much a Disney Plus show as it is a Disney Junior show. Ah. So it's one of those like they you know. Almost like Blue's Clues, but yeah, with the Rocketeer. Why would you need this particular IP to appeal to children who will never... I mean, I guess it could appeal to their parents, maybe? Maybe. I, I don't know. It's kind of left field. And I remember it coming out and just being like, oh, there's going to be a cartoon. Cool. And then like, oh, that's that's the cartoon they went with, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so you've obviously been on Ideal Remake many, many, many times before. You've probably been on more than anyone else. All right. Recurring uh, guest level. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to go through the rigmarole of introducing you to the audience again. They should just go back and listen to your 17 other guest appearances. <laughs> it's not that many, but it's getting there. It's getting close. My, my goal is 20 by the year 2020. Oh, crap. Oh, no! Uh, but this movie was your suggestion. So what is your history with The Rocketeer? I saw this movie when it first came out, and it, I just, I was the right age for it, mm-hmm. when it when it first hit. I was probably like six or seven when it came out, and went to go see it opening night, and it was just, uh, it captured my imagination. Uh, I grew up with my dad kind of idolizing old Hollywood, like mm-hmm. 30s and 40s Hollywood, and uh, really, he had, still does have a passion for Art Deco. And so, like, we spent a lot of time down in Long Beach at the Queen Mary and things like that. Kind of exploring the old, old L.A. Uh, Art Deco haunts. And so when this movie came out, it was just like... hanging out at the Bradbury, just doing all the things. Yeah, you know, in the late 80s when it was all clean and sparkly. Yeah. <laughs> no, we never went to the Bradford. <laughs> that, that was, that was, you didn't go there in the eighties. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. It was a bad part of town. Oh no. <laughs> but Grand Central Market, so close by. And yeah. it definitely existed at that point. It oh. did. It, oh, it was, did? it was a real market then. Oh yeah. It was real. Like you could just go in and buy oranges and stuff. I was going to say orange trees as far as the eye could see. Yeah. As nice. far as the eye can see. That's a, <laughs> that's a different thirties movie. Yeah. But wait, that's from a movie. Isn't that Roger Rabbit? It might be. I don't know. Oh, wait. No, that's Freeways as far as the eye can see. Yeah, that's it. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so that's fun that you like have this history with the movie. I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was a kid. I 
I'm not 100% positive because when I, when I sat and watched it this weekend, I was like, I kept waiting for like the, the core memory to trigger and be like, that's it. That's the moment. And the only thing that really resonated with me as like, I've definitely seen this before, is this moment at the really close to the end when Cliff is like standing in front of an American flag and he just takes off straight into the air. That's the money shot. Going yeah. after the blimp. And I'm like, I may have seen the movie, but I'm pretty sure that was just in the trailer. It was either it was in the trailer, and I think it's also, uh, if memory serves, it's like a live action version of the graphic, the original graphic novel cover. Right. So it's it's kind of a nice, somewhat iconic image. <laughs> I mean, probably. Probably. Uh, it's I, I've never actually read the original graphic novel, which is shame on me as a Rocketeer fan. I mean, there's some things where I'm like, you you experience a story in the medium of your choosing. It's going to be slightly different if you go back. And I'm sure it's not going to be exactly this. Oh, no, no. They they cleaned it up a lot. Actually, I did a deep dive on some of this stuff. And half of the plot that wound up being in the movie is not something that was in the original graphic novel. Oh, yeah? <laughs> to my knowledge. What's his name? Timothy Dalton's character, Neville Sinclair. Yeah. Was not a part of it at all. An interesting interesting tidbit about that. He His character is based off of... The actor Errol Flynn. Right. Who did Robin Hood. Right. The whole Nazi plot in this movie supposedly came from this idea from this book that was written in the late 80s that uh, Errol Flynn was a secret Nazi. What? Yeah. Supposedly he used his influence as an actor to go and like get on naval bases and you know take photos for, for the Nazis. And now this has not been corroborated like... The minute the guy <laughs> released it, all of his kids were like, this is absolute, this is preposterous. This well, of course, is... Errol Flynn's kids would be, would say it's preposterous. Right, right. And it was eventually ruled, they sued him for libel. And it was eventually ruled that uh, he, you know, you can't libel a dead person. So they just, yeah, you know, let it go. Especially but... like a public figure, I think. Right. Uh, although, theoretically, yeah, you you, you, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't at all. I agree with that. But I'm just saying, like, that's that's how this kind of... That's how this ended up in this movie. In this plot, yeah. Errol Flynn as uh, Neville Sinclair as Nazi. Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, I mean, it was fun watching Timothy Dalton's accent fluctuate all over the place on purpose. Yeah, I know. <laughs> which was wild, because he was doing his American accent, his British accent, and then his, uh, and like, and then would, like, go to the German accent, which just made sense. And it was like, oh, you're, it's, it, you're so good. Yeah. Yeah, and intentionally this time, not mm-hmm. not just. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I like Timothy Dalton. He's good in. Um, He's good in a lot of things. I know, but what am I trying to think of? Uh, Doom Patrol. Oh, I didn't even know he was in Doom Patrol. Yeah, he's the scientist in the chair. Interesting. I think uh, I'm thinking of the right guy. One of my uh, closest friends. I, I like to tease him with Timothy Dalton because he, he feels like Timothy Dalton is his uh, arch nemesis. Nice. So, so yeah, Timothy Dalton. He's nice. uh, Niles Calder slash the Chief. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I need to watch that show. I need to catch up on some of these things. I only ever watched the first season. I know the second season got cut short, like an episode because of COVID, and then apparently there's a fourth season. Um, oh. But I know season three is supposed to be really good, and I've just like haven't been paying as close attention. But it's a good show. I like everyone who's in it. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it's worth your time. And I was watching it was when it was on um, DC Universe. Now it's on HBO Max. Oh, even better. Mm-hmm. So. so much easier. Yeah. But yeah, it's this was a fun movie. 
I had a nice time watching it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it doesn't hold up as well as, you know, I had these magical memories as a kid, you know, I, like... It holds up better than some of the movies I enjoyed as a child. Yeah, that's very true. And, like, because when you're a kid, it's just fun. Like, I would say the the thing that holds up the least well in this movie is the gender politics. Yes, yes, it does. I agree with that. However, one could argue that it was 1938, and that is kind of how things were. That is 19, it is 1938, and that is how things were, but that's not how you have to shoot it now. Yeah. The first shot of Jennifer Connelly in this movie is a slow pan shot of her putting on stockings. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I... There's another moment in this where uh, Jennifer Connelly is on the date with the Errol Flynn, Neville Sinclair character, and they go to the, uh, the the fancy person club to have dinner. And Neville Sinclair introduces her to some friend of his, and he said, and the friend says, "Oh, it's a pleasure to meet you." And then he looks down at her boobs, and then the camera is just a shot of her boobs. Like, if he's making the comment to her, that's one thing. But the camera literally takes his perspective, breaks the 180, and just shows her boobs. Yeah, I know. I know. And then then it's just, and it's nice to meet you both, too. And then there's no consequences. No, none at all. Uh... And and that that was a joke for the movie. It's like, ha ha, look at this guy looking at boobs. No consequences. Boobs! Comedy. It's fine. Take a breath. And look, okay. no, we can I, all agree that Jennifer Connelly is one of the most gorgeous women that has ever uh, graced the silver screen. But don't treat her this way. No, I, I agree with that completely. And to be honest with you, the direction overall is has always been kind of something that was a thorn in my craw. Uh, I mean, obviously the glaring things that we just talked about. Yeah. That was not intended to be a pun, but if you want it to be, it can be. I um, didn't even pick up on it, so I'm glad you I'm glad you lampshaded it. Yeah, no problem. I that's how I tell all my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, but yeah, no, the direction overall, I mean, it's made by Joe Johnston. And that guy, he just, look, I don't want to drag a guy for, for making a movie that he... You mean Joe Johnston of Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Captain America, the first Avenger? He didn't direct either of those. He did direct Captain America, first Avenger, which I did not like either. And then when the credits rolled and I saw his name and I was like, oh, that's why I didn't like this movie. The guy who did Jurassic Park 3 made it. <laughs> yeah, he was art director for uh, Raiders. Yeah, he started He started at, uh, up north in San Francisco. I don't know what that means. He started with Lucasfilm. Got it. But I can't really dive into that. So Yeah, uh, he is going to be directing or has directed Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair, which is going to be coming out. And something called Shrunk shrunk if it's a honey i shrunk the kids reboot i'm gonna be mad that sure seems like that's what it is gonna be based on the name but if it has anything to do with say downsizing which is one of the worst movies i've ever seen (laughs) it really is (laughs) Uh, he also directed the 2010 the wolfman oh yeah that one was not great either that was another film where the best thing about it was the score oh that's your favorite part yeah (laughs) for those of you that don't know Kevin's really good at music. Now they know. They know now. <laughs> and, and now, thanks for painting the target on my back. Because I'm just going to talk about the, the, the score to The Rocketeer and how great it is. Is too. it? It is great. Actually, oh, good. I really like it. But uh, I digress. James uh, Horner did a good job. He did do a good job. <laughs> Look, do, I see do you know name. who James Horner is? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but based on IMDb Pro, I can tell that he also worked on Titanic and avatar 
And Aliens and Wrath of Khan. I don't think IMDb Pro has more than just the three things that happen when I hover over their name. Yeah, I know. That's the way IMDb Pro works. Yep. It's tragically passed away in an airplane crash. but I mean, at some point good... I will have to have a conversation about Josie and the Pussycats, but that's a separate conversation. It's not one for this show, that's no. for sure. No, and it's also too good. It's probably unremakeable because it is too perfect a movie. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I love Josie and the Pussycats. It's fun. It's It has no business being that good, actually. Correct. It, um, it's one of those, which is why it's so great. But anyway, let's briefly talk about like kind of the story of The Rocketeer for the people who didn't see it or don't remember it. Right. The movie begins with uh, them trying out a new airplane. Yeah, so the movie begins with that. they uh, We learned through all of the glorious exposition delivered that uh, they, uh, Cliff Secord, our, our hero, our, our dashing, good-looking hero, is a pilot that is racing in some sort of air Some airway. sort of air show. Yeah. I don't follow aviation. He needs to make semifinals so that he can make it to Glee. I mean, championships. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they do still call it Glee in the aviation world, right? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's just, I was on a Glee podcast, and basically, like, every single episode of Glee is they're making it to the next level of music competition, and this movie was making it to the next level of airplane competition. Ah. Uh, but yeah, like, he's flying, He's has this, they got this new pl- plane all rigged up, PV did a great job, and that he's flying around, he's doing a great job, and he happens to fly past the FBI chasing down a couple of mafia guys who are Tommy gunning at each other. And the plane gets caught in the Tommy gun, and the plane goes down. The mafia guys crash into the uh, hangar. Hangar, thank you. And they stash the thing they stole in one of the other planes, which is, I believe, it is some sort of vacuum cleaner. Some sort of vacuum cleaner. But no, it's it's a jetpack. They stole a jetpack. It turns out from Howard Hughes who, after Howard Hughes finds out that this thing was stolen, he burns the blueprints because he's like, I made this for fun and I'm never going to make it again. I'm out. Yeah, too many people have died already for it. Yeah. Being dramatic as Howard Hughes was. Yeah, being just a great guy like Howard Hughes was was not. Right, exactly. A, a good uh, novel, yeah. not novel person, but you know what I mean. Responsible it, yeah. inventor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. was obviously pre the time he locked himself into his bedroom and peed in jars for 30 years. I think this is pre-Kleenex box, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boxes, pardon Boxes. me. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize, Hughes Estate. <laughs> um, so everyone's mad. They're not going to make regionals now. And then Cliff goes to tell attractive woman Jenny that he he crashed a plane or doesn't he takes her out on a date and doesn't tell her but they, she finds out because the only place he knows how to how to eat at is the Bulldog Cafe, which is the cafe for the airplane people. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's based on a real bulldog restaurant. It was kitschy. Really? Yeah. Because it looked super cool. Like, when we saw that that was the restaurant, like, my friend Ed and I, who I was watching it with, we were like, that place seems awesome! Okay, so, um, here in the Valley in Los Angeles in North Hollywood, there is one remaining Americana kitschy thing. Would uh, you describe it as particularly active, or would you say it's now grown idle? Uh, it's, it's grown a little idle, but it's... For it's how long? Relatively active. Uh, it's idle for about an hour or uh, two. There it is. Uh, and in the back of this giant barrel that has been idle for about an hour is the dog that they replicated for this movie. Oh! 
Okay, so I've been there, and yeah. I've seen that dog. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten that was back there. The bar we were talking about is called Idle Hour. And it's it, a, a great polka stop. It's it's amazing for other things as well, including lots of Rocketeer memorabilia, which they have on behind the bar. I So the one time I went, I was there for like a game night, and we were like out by the dog in the back the whole time. And so I didn't spend any time in at the bar, which makes sense because I don't drink. But like, right. interesting. May have to make a pilgrimage. Mayhaps I'll have to make a pilgrimage to Idle Hour to see the Rocketeer memorabilia. Yeah, go have a mocktail in the uh, in the dog. You can go in and like I we were drinking in there one night. It's kind of fun. Awesome. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I love that. Uh, cool. So anyway. They go hang out at this uh, bulldog cafe, and then they're talking with everybody, and find and Jenny finds out that Cliff crashed, like the plane crashed. Ah, darn! And gets angry that she didn't, uh, that he didn't tell her. So there's tension there. Yeah, and she leaves. He's told to go after her. He does, but she's already on a bus. The next day, he goes and uh, try and goes back and finds this plane, and in the plane is this weird thing, and oh, it's. It's a vacuum cleaner. It's a vacuum cleaner. That also doubles as as a, a dual engine jetpack. Yes. And so he and PV test it out, try different things, and... Do a little vandalism, steal a statue. And, yeah. You know, I mean, saw it off at, like Bart Simpson. And... Yeah. <laughs> and they test it out, and they're like, well, yeah, this is a jetpack. And PV wants him to return it to the person it came from. And Cliff, I don't remember what his logic was for using it the first time. So Cliff's logic for using it the first time was, the one part that we skipped over was we went back, He when they go back to the airfield, and he's talking about, they're like, what do we do? That was our one, that plane was our one shot, it's completely totaled. And the, oh, that's uh, right. the, uh, the manager of the airfield is going to kick him off the airfield if they don't start pulling their weight. So yeah. he has to go do like essentially an aerial clown show like, yes and instead of that he's like we've got this jetpack we should try that instead of that's know, right going up in an old biplane <laughs> dressed uh, like a clown the character's name is bigelow and he runs the air show and basically he says you're doing this show or you're leaving and so it's like well we have to do something or we're leaving so that's how they this one show and then i'm out meanwhile the mafia is like well he, that guy, one of them's dead, one of them's in the hospital, and basically the mafia finds out where the the jetpack was, and this other enforcer guy, who has a name, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Lothar. Lothar. Who uh, is weirdly disfigured in, in some of the worst early 90s Disney makeup I've seen since Dick Tracy. Well, that's exactly it. He looked like a character out of Dick Tracy. Yeah. Well, I mean... Out of, out of the movie Dick Tracy. I'm assuming that they did the exact same thing with him that they did uh, with all the characters from Dick Tracy is they just modeled him after one of the ridiculous characters in the comics. They did, absolutely. Yeah, I'm like trying to find Lothar in the IMDb, IMDb Pro list and I just couldn't find him. He was based off of an actor in the 30s and 40s. I can't remember the actor's name, but he was like a horror actor. Makes sense. Because because uh, of his bizarre looks, yeah. So I I recast him, but I couldn't figure out what his actual name was. So I just called him a uh, big enforcer guy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Lothar 
snaps the 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 mafia witness in half after getting the information so no one else can get it which is pretty awesome for a pg rated disney movie (laughs) there's a lot of death in this movie for a pg rating like a Uh lot of like a like a lot well not only that but we have him flying past a big ass swastika at one point too yeah (laughs) and there's a lot of like whoa like but also brutal deaths yeah yeah two people are snapped in half and one person dies in a giant fireball right and that person is Lothar. <laughs> Him too. Yeah. That two people die, die in giant fireballs. Exactly. Because uh, Neville Sinclair does as well. Oh, that's right. The thing explodes, and he in this. I'm jumping ahead, but basically in this massive, there's a hole in the jetpack, and uh, Cliff sees it but doesn't tell. Neville Sinclair. So when Neville Sinclair steals the jetpack and leaves, leaving them in the lurch as the blimp's exploding, it explodes in a giant fireball and he crashes into the Hollywood Land sign, specifically in the land part, and blows up land. So it's just the Hollywood sign. So he's the reason why it's a Hollywood sign instead of Hollywood Land. And it's so good. It's amazing. It's so good. That's, that's my favorite part of the whole movie. It's like, oh, that's why it doesn't. And I watched it last night and it was like, that's clearly a model. <laughs> like, yeah. a really bad one, too. But I it's love great. It. That's so good. Oh, it was amazing. Like, we're all, we, we just laughed and laughed at this moment. It was like, it's so good. Yeah, it's really funny. I anyway. Mean, classic, classic Hollywood. Yeah. They don't find the jetpack, but they find the picture of Jenny that Cliff had been keeping in the plane for good luck. The gangsters. The gangsters find it. Lothar ends up finding it. No, he doesn't know. Uh, uh, no, I think it's the other guys. It uh, doesn't matter. The Paul Sorvino, who just passed away. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching, someone had posted on Instagram that, that him slicing the garlic with a razor. Uh, oh, yeah. In Goodfellas. From Goodfellas. Which is a great scene. Oh, so good. Uh, but basically, what ends up happening is it's just kind of, a, the rest of the movie is kind of a chase around of like using the jetpack to, to get away and to save you, mostly just Jenny's life. And then the FBI and the mafia and Lothar trying to kidnap Jenny so that Cliff will turn over the jetpack in exchange for her. Pretty much, yeah. That's that's the second act of the film. Yeah, is, is just a lot of a lot of running around, a lot of uh... yeah. Meanwhile, the mafia is working for Errol Flynn, the Neville Sinclair character, to get the jetpack because he wants it for some reason. Right. And eventually, Neville Sinclair finds out that Jenny is uh, has it or is dating the guy, so he tries to seduce her, but basically just kidnaps her, brings her back to his house, and then she finds out that he's a Nazi. Pretty much, yeah. Which his house should we should note is that they shot it at that huge. It's a monument in L.A. now. Uh, it's that house. Ah, oh, what's the name of it? It's a Frank Lloyd Wright house in Los Feliz. Have you ever seen it? You know what I'm talking I'm not, about? No. Uh, it is... Because I know the final battle, or the, the final meetup was at the Getty. No, the final meetup was at the Griffith Observatory. Griffith Observatory, excuse me. Yes, you're right, I said the wrong thing. And that's another thing I like about this movie, is, like, old Los Angeles is a very much a present character in this film. Oh, yes, and absolutely. I miss that, because we don't have that anymore, really. Not as much. Um, uh, it's the Ennis House, is the name of it, and it was built by Frank Lloyd Wright in the 20s, and it's all stone... It's really beautiful inside. It's like a Los Angeles monument. Um, but they they took it over and shot in there. They did a great job. Yeah. It was like it, it's a weird house, but it was real cool looking. Yeah, I beautiful. wouldn't want to live there, but I enjoyed looking at it. Yeah, no, it's it's fun to go in there for a few minutes, and then you're like, hmm, it's kind of weird in here. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the movie as it exists right now. So when you suggested this movie, what did you already have some things in mind of what you wanted to do with it? 
Uh, I did and I didn't. I suggested it because it was kind of an old favorite. And, yeah. And, you know, it's it's like, okay, it gives me a reason to revisit it and, you know, see how it aged. Because it's been a while since I've seen it. And, yeah, there were parts that did not hold up as well as, as I'd remembered. And, you know, leads a, just a little wooden. And <laughs> Yeah. But uh, I I do always, I remember reading somewhere that somebody said that they were intending it to become kind of the next Indiana Jones. Yes. And I was like, that that would have been awesome. That does come across. Like, I would really love to see kind of a little bit grittier version of it. It, so I was, so this is the little bit of research that I did in that there was a planned sequel. Yeah, there were there were two. Supposedly yeah. there was a trilogy. I guess they had what's his name, the lead Cliff signed on for three Billy pictures. Campbell. Yeah, Billy Campbell. Thank and you. Uh, so this is a, has a budget of thirty five million dollars, which at the time is a lot. That's hefty. Yeah. And but it only made forty six million dollars, which you might think oh seems like more, but you got to remember that when you're talking about budget for movies. The budget of the movie is $35 million, which means that advertising is probably another $35 million, which means it was probably $70 million overall, which means that this did lose money. Right. And that's why they didn't make a second and third. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, a fair assessment. You know, how many how many people sign up for a second one after you lose $30 million? Basically, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, um, but I do think in a, in a lot of ways, um, the studio got in the way of what it could have been. In what way? Uh, in a lot of ways, it, I mean, first of all, it's Disney, so a lot of the violence had to be toned down. And I think also they had to have, like, certain marks of, you know, like, things that you need in a Disney film. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they couldn't make the guy too grotesque, the Lothar guy, too sure. grotesque looking. It had to be very... I'm going to talk myself in a circle here because I forgot what I was going to say. But um, I had to be disnified a little bit. Yeah, thank you. That's, he had, he that's... had to be intimidating but not gross. Yeah, by and large, the film, as as it stands, is very disnified. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a PG movie. Yeah. Which I, because I know not the first Indiana Jones is also PG. That's only because the first two were... No, well, no, because did they invent PG-13 for Temple of Doom, or did they invent it for Last Crusade? Temple of Doom was one of the reasons PG-13 was created. Okay. That but, and Gremlins. Yeah, but it, it was for those movies. Like, those were the first movies. No, not... no, they came out. And, and then and afterwards then, they were like... I believe, so, this is a little bit of weird, I'm a weird movie nerd trivia. The first PG-13 movie came out on the day I was born. Oh, that's yeah. wild. It was Red Dawn. Uh, Wolverines. Wolverines. Yeah. That's a movie eventually I'll have to talk about on this show. I'd love to talk about it with you. It's a fun movie. So we'll put it in our back pocket because yeah. I've never seen it, but it's and, and they did remake it. Yeah, they did. And, and I don't know how you would remake it now. I, I, I'll be honest. Okay, so I said it's a fun movie. It's not a fun movie. It's a yeah. really dark movie, but it's a well done movie. Yeah. Uh, the remake was absolute trash. That's what I hear. Uh, and it was supposed to be China, and they changed it to North Korea at the last minute. Yeah, and that is why everybody in the movie looks weird, because it's like that weird, like, uncanny valley, like, dis- yeah. face dysmorphia, because they digitally altered everybody. Yeah, choices were made, and then uh, they hedged. Yeah, and that's why it sat on the shelf for, what, five, four years, something like that? Anyways. I don't know. Anyway, that's a different uh, movie. That's a different movie, that's a different conversation. So for our version... I was having this conversation with someone earlier, but I feel like we still have to set it 
1939. I agree completely, 100%. Normally when we're doing Ideal Remake, it's you're remaking it, it's a current version, all of that, but I don't think that works for this. In in this, I was going to say like the same thing. Like either it needs to be set in that time period because it's such a gorgeous period piece. Yeah. That I don't think it would work in any other time period. Or the flip side that I was thinking about was you, you remember Batman the animated series, right? Of course, the cartoon, uh, the masterpiece of animation. Yeah. Um, so they they kind of did something similar where they didn't really call out that it was 1938, but it was like a modern version of Art Deco. So I feel like if we're doing that, that's what they did in the movie Dick Tracy. Yeah. To kind of some, some element degree. of success. Yes and no. Uh, there weren't computers and stuff in Dick Tracy, were there? Because I haven't seen that movie in a long time. It's been but... a long time. I don't know. I don't remember. I know that they're, they used some sort of technology to slow Dustin Hoffman's voice down so that he sounded normal. Oh, right. But that was just slowing the tape down. Yeah. You could have done that in the 30s. It, but, yeah. like, in the Dick Tracy movie, it is in some time. Right, right. It's definitely... Like, it's it's kind of exists in a world outside of time. Yeah, it's like kind of like once upon a time around the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, not even, but yes. Not, well, okay, around... The, the 40s the, or 50s. The or war, around. yeah, sure. But yeah, so like, we could do that, but I feel like... Let's just set it in 1939 when it was. I feel like that kind of makes sense. Perfect. Let's do it. I, in my version, I gender-swapped Cliff and Jenny, but I believe you told me that you did not do that. I did not do that. All right, so we're going to have to have a conversation about that. So, But for our version, what are some things that you think we need to change? That's a that's a tough one, because it is kind of a... Like, the story in itself is actually pretty solid. A pretty solid, like, comic book origin story. Yeah. Of, like, you know, Boy Finds Rocket... Boy uses rocket to to you know impress girl. Boy that spirals out of control. Boy gets chased by the FBI, the mafia, and the Nazis at the same time. Typical love story. Yeah. So for me, the thing that I would change is I would probably drop the FBI entirely. Yeah, that's fair. What we have in this movie is we have the FBI, we have the mafia, and we have at the very end the Nazis that somehow made it into the country with their giant blimp that has a swastika on it and no one stopped them. Right. That that was a little bit <laughs> I had to really suspend my disbelief yeah, on that. That, that one somebody... we were we were like, mm, no. But like the FBI and the mafia are both and uh Lothar So L- Lothar was I believe a, a German a stooge. I believe he was a Nazi. Maybe, but basically he worked for Neville Sinclair. Right. Before we knew he was a Nazi. It was just basically, those are the three different groups that were after Cliff. Correct. We didn't know that he was a Nazi. Turns out that he was. Yep. But basically, the FBI is evil. The mafia are evil. Even the other people in the plane cafe are jerks. And then it turns out there's this, and then there's Nazi evil guys. And then once everyone realizes they're Nazi evil guys, everyone automatically just becomes good guys. And they're like, well, I may not always make an honest buck, but at least I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Yeah. Whatever the line is. To quote the great Paul Servino. Exactly. Uh, There's this moment, and it's such a hokey moment at the end. It's, I think it's, uh, God, what's his name? Ed Lautner, the FBI agent, is there up against that giant obelisk in uh, Griffith Park Observatory. And they're both shooting machine guns next yeah. to each other. And then they stop and they look at each other and they smile. And it's like and the gangster and the FBI guy fighting together against yeah. the common good. And I was like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, yeah, we're all red-blooded Americans and whatever. Yeah. 
And I'm like, that's fine. And that may have been what you needed in the 90s, but I think you just... Well, I think a good part of that, too, is you have to remember Indiana Jones 3, Last Crusade, came out 89. I think this came out the next year, didn't it? 89 or 90? So if they were trying to ride that... Yeah, of course. That tonal thing of yeah and that works for this movie so, exactly so i'll rephrase i think for our version version we either need to ha- have either the fbi or the nazis and whichever one we keep is our true villain but not both i agree with that and i am actually inclined to to drop the nazis more than i think that's probably fair yeah and then i think we can scooch it a little bit earlier in time and not set it in 1939 we can set it in like 31 32 yeah yeah sure and I mean, that way it's like, uh, there's some... So, some things brewing over there. We're yeah, in... but it's also one of those things where it's like, a lot of people in the United States... The reason the United States didn't get involved in World War II for a long time is because a lot of people in the United States liked Hitler. Yep. And uh, we don't talk about that because people don't actually teach history anymore. That's very true. Or they're not allowed to, which is the well, actual story. Which is worse. Kind of almost circling back to liking yeah. Hitler in a weird mm-hmm. way. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it, not even in a weird way. It's a straight one for one. Yep. Anyway. Out of his playbook. All right. Um, but yeah, I think the FBI being the real villains because they want to weaponize it, which is what Howard Hughes doesn't want. The mafia is just doing a job, but when they find out that, like, the, like working for the government, making the government even more able to take them down, the mafia is like, whoa! Step no, no, back no. here, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fun a fun, a fun twist. Because I do think there was a little too much going on in yeah. the original. It got a little convoluted. And I also, like, it's another one of the things that doesn't really get talked about. is like, we always kind of treat the mafia as, like, the bad guys, but a lot of times they kind of were, like, the only thing standing up for impoverished <laughs> groups in the United States. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Italian-Americans were outcasts. Completely and And that's why there needed to be a mafia in order to, like, protect themselves. Exactly. took it too far, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they did take it a little too far. And that was unions in general at the time. It was. Um, I'm just going to make a quick recommendation. Anybody out there who's interested in this kind of history should watch the show The Offer on Paramount+. Plus Because it dives into it a little bit. Oh, yeah? And how the film The Godfather was looked upon by Italian-Americans... And how it kind of like being made was almost like a discriminatory thing for them. Uh, it's it's just a fascinating that is interesting uh, dive into history. It's another another period thing that I think is really good, um, a really good reflection of what it was like at that time in the climate and how Italian Americans were viewed. Fair speaking as I don't believe either of us is Italian American. No, no, no. I'm uh, Jewish, so <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm. Eastern European and New York Jewish. And I don't really know the background of my mom's family because she doesn't talk about it. And I haven't looked into it because I don't care. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of setting. Here was my proposal for why I wanted to, to gender swap the our, our leads. To make Cliff Tiff and make Jenny Johnny. A lot of the motivating factors of NA just for more women in this. Because I also gender swapped a couple other characters. Um, but... One of the big motivating factors of the Rocketeer as it exists is kidnapping Jenny so that Cliff hands over the jetpack. Yes. Which is very it, dated. It's it's very 1920s uh, nickel, Nickelodeons. Yeah. Well, so there there is a trope. It's called women in refrigerators in, in film and comic books. The term is fridging and yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Oh, they changed it now? I haven't been well, a writer for a while. <laughs> the, the term is fridging. It's specifically referencing a Green Lantern comic. Right, where he opens the door of his refrigerator and finds his girlfriend in there. Yeah. In Basically, pieces. the term the term fridging, and it's why in a, a, a movie I wrote a couple years ago with my friend Harry, we literally have a character named Fridge. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a big heads up of what's about to happen to him. But basically, the story is a woman is hurt, kidnapped, or killed in order to motivate the lead male. Exactly. So it's pretty much the Punisher's story. Basically. It's a lot of stories. A lot of stories, including this one. Yeah, including Deadpool 2, which came out way later, and then people went to the writers and producers and said, you just fridged her, and they were like, and they'd literally never heard it, and then they were like, oh, whoops. Wow. But we brought her back! I mean, um, but anyway, it's been a trope for a long time. But so. anyway, it's been a trope for a long time and it's problematic. So part of the reason why I wanted to swap it is because I wanted the mafia guys to try to be kidnapping Johnny because they think that they're kidnapping him so he will take them to the jetpack and then they will have the jetpack. They're kidnapping who they think is the rocketeer in order to get the rocket. But it turns out Johnny's just dating Tiff, Tiffany, whatever. She's the real rocketeer. And so the the mafia is going after this guy because they don't think a woman could be the rocketeer. They're going after the guy who clearly is. Fascinating. That's uh, I had something sort of similar, but what I, I was thinking and why I didn't do a gender swap was actually please tell me we had Cliff gets does get caught, and they think they've got the rocketeer, but they don't know where the rocket is. And then our Jenny comes in to save him at the end. So she by proxy becomes the rocketeer right i think we could do that my preference is obviously to have her be the rocketeer the whole time sure but we can argue that point later and theoretically i cast two people whatever we do end up doing you can just swap your casting so it doesn't really matter sure um but part of the reason why i think that is it's kind of like uh Pepper Potts showing up at the end of Endgame in the Iron Man suit. And it's like, well, that's cool. But she could have been in the suit the whole time. I forgot about that completely and totally. Yeah, you're right. And I'd like the Rocketeer to be Be the Rocketeer. And it's like, we want to have a reason for people to not immediately suspect her. And it's just because of the inherent sexism that they possess. And it's like, oh, well, it never would have been her. And we can even have it set up where, like, for lack of a better phrase, like, Johnny can be Tiff's beard, and Tiff could have been the pilot the whole time. Right. Um, or or not. Like Professional be, beard. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah. Like, we don't have to go that far. Like, there's no reason that the girlfriend can't still be an actress, and then she does the superhero stuff on the side, and that's how she meets Neville Sinclair. Could be. It could even be part of her motivation. You know what I mean? It could be, like... Um... You know, she's tired of being sidelined to the damsel in distress for a little meta humor in there and takes like, screw it. I'm going to be the rocketeer. We could also have it be like, that's why she's drawn to uh, the other, the guy in the first place of she likes flying. She likes him taking her up in his plane. Yeah. And it's what one of those things that she genuinely enjoys. And so when this, this jetpack falls in her lap, she all of a sudden has an opportunity to fly on her own something that she's not really allowed to do otherwise right and because she's wearing a mask especially if we push it to that era of 1931 yeah. to 
three. This is a small thing, but I, I really enjoy when PV is having a conversation with Howard Hughes talking about just like the design and why the helmet looks the way it does. Cause he talks about, well, Hey, it's uh, wind protection for the face, but then like the fin on the back, like you turn your head and that's how you go in a direction. Yeah. It's a rudder. Yeah. It's a rudder. And I just thought that's genuinely very, very clever. I, it is. And there, and I think that's one of my favorite parts of this whole movie actually is because the chemistry between those two are so good. It's just two nerds yeah. nerding out on engineering and you're like, holy crap, you cracked the code. Like, yeah. put a rudder on it? That's brilliant. And I want more of that. Like, part of the reason why I want to take out, in our case, the Nazis in favor of making the FBI the true villain is because I want them to really, like, expand this and, and do more with it. But I don't. One of the reasons I don't want to make this modern day is because if we make this modern day, you put a helmet on someone, it's just going to turn into the inside of the Iron Man mask. Yeah, I know exactly. I completely agree with that. And also, I mean, it just the innovation today is not what it was in that time period either. Yeah, you know now now tech is by and large the biggest innovation, whereas you know we're kind of going back to a simpler time where. Everything's mechanical. Yeah. And you have to figure it out and figure out a way to, in, to engineer it. And to me, that that's yeah. kind of more exciting than, than figuring out the tech. And, like, having to find the loose parts and, like, reverse, like, figure out, like, hammering stuff into place and, like, yeah. cutting up, like, pieces of metal and welding it together. And, like, exactly. that makes the seams. Like, I love that stuff. And that would not really be present. You could just 3D print something. Right, or have Jarvis do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I want this to be in the, like, in ye olde pasty times. <laughs> of 1930s. Uh, because I want getting your hands dirty. I really like the idea of just PV just really, really... Being a kind of... Sciencing a, it out. Yeah, exactly. And PV uh, being another character that I uh, gender swapped. As did I. Good. As did I. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I really... And I, I think that's another reason why I like that character so much. That's my father. My father is yeah. forever tinkering and building things and figuring it out. And, like, he just, you know, kind of, like, reminded me of Peavy a little bit. And it's, you know, just, hey, we put it together. We figured it out. We yeah. got it. You know, no that's worries. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I want it to be. I want... So for me, I want kind of origins of like getting the the jetpack into the into the plane and into cliff's hands i largely the same but for me it's really discovering the joy of flight especially in my version like someone who really hasn't ever been able to do it on their own on her own before she discovers the joy of flight and then is also able to save able to use it to save people right for good yeah i don't necessarily care about the one air show I like the idea of the Rocketeer flying around and just saving people here, there, all over the place. Just being a hero for 15, 20 minutes of all these little things. And of course, all of that gets back. Like, I want the Mafia and Neville Sinclair to think, oh, the rocket is gone. Right. And it's not until they find out, oh, this Rocketeer has it. Oh, it's not gone. We got to go track down the Rocketeer. Who's a pilot that works at the... at Where the, they showed where up. They, where, yeah. Well, the only person who works is this guy. Let's kidnap him and get him, and to, and get him to tell us where the jetpack is. And now we have Jenny having to go save uh, her boyfriend. Right. Having to serve the ultimate... Perform the ultimate role of hero and rescue her boyfriend from the hands of those dastardly mafia, not mafia, not... 
Not 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 and, and crime the, family, but you know the, from the FBI. Yeah, save them from the FBI because they are the real bad guys, after all, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Basically, <laughs> Dateline. Yes. Turns out the Rocketeer was just a dame all along. <laughs> Tune Ooh. in next time for more exciting adventures of the Rocketeer. Yes, I think I don't know. Uh, and like they can even try to be like. How about, we'll call her the Rocket Rocketeer. Yeah. No, she's, no. she's just the Rocketeer. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think, and so in my head, that's kind of the plot. I like it. I like it a lot. It makes, it. at first I was kind of like, he's so married to this original story that yeah. I was like, I don't know if it's going to work, but I like it. We're I, not going to make that original story go away. It no, still exists. Oh, I know. I know. I and just... it's the story that the, that the characters in this movie expect it to be. Right. Oh, look at this hero, Flyboy over here. Turns mm-hmm. out it's Fly Girl. Yeah, I do. I do like the bait and switch aspect of it, especially you know, if we're keeping it in the early '30s. You know, I mean, I was just thinking about it earlier. If when was when was uh, women's suffrage? Was it uh, after 21? that, or was it before <laughs> or, that? No, it was before that. I think it was the '20s. I thought it was '21. So that would that would be a roughly ten years that they've only had the right to vote, which is, in a way, kind of giving women of that time a, a hero to look up to. Approved by the Senate on June 4th, 1919, and ratified in August 1920. Oh, I was off by a year. Oops. Yeah, but but you're right. You yeah. were right, I was wrong. But yes, 1920, you get the right to vote of, oh, oh, sure, women think they can vote, and now they can be superheroes. And now they think they can fly. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. RKO Radio, you guys need to... But basically, and so like that kind of idea. So that that's kind of what I think would be fun to play with. And then... I even like I'm even happy with Neville Sinclair funneling all this F, like being a secret mole for the FBI but secretly being a mole for like anyone else like generally being a bad guy. Yeah. Like willing to work for anyone who's paying him. I mean, he's playing on double crossing the FBI. I I actually was thinking it could well I mean the double cross aspect is fun, but especially on the FBI who thinks that they always know it all. Yeah. Um but I, I was immediately, my first inclination was, oh, he's on the take uh, from the mob. Yeah. In a way of like, you know, Frank Sinatra was. Yes, kind of, basically. You know. Yeah. And, his, yeah. His but, first loyalty is to the mob. Exactly. And so, the Neville Sinclair, his first loyalty is to the mob, but also taking money from the FBI. And... Because it's the long con, baby. Yeah. And then at the very end of the movie, he's abandoning both the mafia and the FBI because he's like, well, I found a private buyer. And, you're, and, and then he can like throw on that uh german accent as he takes off into the faulty thing of and and perhaps my friends we will see you on the other side and then takes off and literally just that like never explicitly said literally reveals german accent and then immediately dies they are the highest bidders and then crashes into the land part of hollywood you have to keep the yes we do (laughs) like i i don't care what else happens that stays. Like, in my head, that is how Hollywood land came down. The, yeah. Like, it's there Neville is, Sinclair. Yeah, correct. Errol Flynn exploded in land, and now it's just Hollywood. Yeah. The <laughs> end. <laughs> it's a better ending than the real Errol Flynn guy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the answer, but it's worth, I'm sure we can look it up later. No, oh, it's it involved a lot of drinking and drugs. Oh, so. uh, yeah, that is sad. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you betray your country like that. Well, that and also, you know, when you're a movie star and you yes. have everything at your fingertips. Yeah. Supposedly he didn't actually betray his country. So I don't know. I'm on the fence. I was making a joke. Oh, well, what are those? Uh, well, let me explain it. So the way this particular joke worked, the structure. 
right. <laughs> I, I, I see the lampshade coming out now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, fine. it's fine. What else do we need for our plot? Uh, well, a third act. A, a big explosive third act, I think, at this point. Well, we have act one of get the rocket pack, saving people. And then the end of act one is the mafia finding out. Right. Act two is the mafia going at, like, figuring out a way to go after uh, the the the, the, the rocketeer, pilot, the rocketeer yeah. who they and they think they think is the guy, right? And so they go after him and they they black bag him, take him away, and like all of a sudden he's captured. They uh, they they're going to torture him to find out where the jetpack is, right? And at the end of Act Two, the rocketeer is like, and now I have to go save him. Yeah. Act three is going and saving him. Right, exactly. So yeah, that is act three. That, you said we didn't have our act three. That's our act three. No, I meant a, a big explosive set piece for act oh, three. Oh, like, because we don't have the blimp this time. No, we don't have the blimp. We could still keep it at Griffith Observatory, but, because um, I do feel like in this film, in the same way that it was in the original, like like I mentioned, Los Angeles should play a, a yeah. big part of it. So what's another, so outside of setting fire to the tar pits... Oh, yeah, that's a little hokey. <laughs> <laughs> What's a big Hollywood set piece that doesn't get played with as much? Uh, let's see. Santa Monica Pier? I mean, that's what I was thinking, and I, I have an idea for you. Yeah? So, this would be... I think I know this is going. <laughs> this is going to be the hokiest. Uh-huh. And it's the Rocketeer spinning so fast on the Ferris wheel... That, like, she picks it up and is, like, carrying it as, like, a spinning wheel of fire and uses that to take out the mafia. I, that's kind of incredible, actually. <laughs> I like it. What I was going to... I thought the direction you were going was that this is going to be instead of... Well, okay, I'll, I'll get back to this. I, the, I thought you, what you were going for was this is going to be how the original Santa Monica Pier got decimated. Oh. Because there was a, a first Santa yeah. Monica Pier that... I, I mean, know. it can be. If you're stealing the Ferris wheel, that's pretty decimating. But it, like, It is. You lift up the Ferris wheel and you're just like, and you're propelling it with your jetpack and just this giant spinning top, essentially. top of yeah. fire. Yeah. And it's like, you like the, they are in a fortress. They have completely set up this house as a fortress. You can't get in. Oh, can't I? Ferris wheel, giant flaming wheel, busts down the house. And then she flies in to go rescue and then like shenanigans. Shenanigans. The, I mean, the only problem I have with it is if we're going to have the Hollywood land crash, it's got to be somewhere around Oh, there, the Hollywood so. land crash is the end yeah. when Neville Sinclair steals the, the now faulty jetpack and takes off. And that's the end because that's the big explosion right. of the jetpack. Right. But you know how long it takes to get from Santa Monica Pier to the Hollywood sign? <laughs> I do. But that's what's going to be like, like, they're expecting her to show up to turn over the jetpack. And they keep looking on the ground, and then they look up in the sky, and it's a giant flaming circle. So you're so you're pitching that she's gonna make it go so fast that it pitches to the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, she ha- <laughs> she heli- she turns it into like basically a helicopter propeller and gets it over to the Hollywood Hills in order to break into the house. I mean, that's just as much of a suspension of disbelief as a freaking Zeppelin yeah. <laughs> over Los Angeles. My, yeah, but there you can't suspend like that. Would a giant Nazi blimp would have been stopped? Yeah, I know. This is one of those things where everyone would look up into the sky, like, being like, "What, the what hell? is happening?" Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I, I like it. I think it's really fun, actually. 
Cool, because that's my suggestion. That's uh, that's definitely a set piece that to remember. Uh, yeah, I've never seen it done before. <laughs> I haven't either, and I, God damn it, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then that's our big set piece. Let's talk about casting. Sure. So, in our version, I'm pitching Cliff Tiff Switch. So, of our two, let's pitch our leading lady, if that's all right. Sure, sure. Um, I'm happy to go first. Um, my leading lady, I've seen her in three separate things and did not process that it was the same uh, woman. Mm. And she's an action star in Iron... She's literally the best part of the Iron Fist TV show. She's so good. Mm. She's the love interest in Love and Monsters and is an action star and is so good. And she's in Matrix Revolu- Resurrections where she's an action star and is so good. And that's Jessica Henwick. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, she does kind of have that classic uh, 1930s beauty to her as well. Yeah. Like, not saying that that's the thing that has to sell it. Uh, I'm just saying... Right. If, you're do- if we're doing Bruce Wayne and Batman, she's that's a- her Bruce Wayne, She's right? an actress in Hollywood. She's going to be attractive. Right, exactly. That's all I meant by um, that. But yeah, like, and that, and the three different movies where, like, she's good at different forms of martial arts and is also really charming. And, like, she plays... What was the character's name? Bug in Matrix Resurrections? I think so. I I only saw it one time. I also only saw it one time, but she's the best part. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. I really liked uh, New Morpheus's uh, suits. Yeah. I mean, Keanu was was great in it. He was good. There's a lot of things to like in that movie. There's also a lot of things to not like. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She plays Bugs, excuse me. Yes. Uh, But yeah, I I just think she's great. But who's your casting for the role? Uh, so for my role, again, I was coming up from the approach that eventually they will both be kind of, of course. in a Rocketeers type situation. Uh, my my pick has has been in a lot of different uh, action films over the over the last few years. Daughter of of a great musician as well. Um, I know most, you're most say. recently went for Catwoman. Yeah, in Batman. Uh, I went for Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, that that, I mean she's also great. That makes sense. For all the same reasons as I was pitching Jessica Henwick. Right. She's a movie star. She's an action star. She's a fantastic actress. That does make sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. We can't pick one or the other until we know who she's paired with. Right. So tell me who your leading man is. So my leading man, and again, I went with the idea that starting out that he would be the Rocketeer at the beginning. My my pick uh, is a... I guess budding action star or budding character actor. I sure. don't know. He just recently came on my radar. I know he's been around for a little while. I chose him be- mostly because of his turn in the last Top Gun film that just came out. Um, I went with Miles Teller for playing Cliff. So, Miles Teller's an asshole. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I don't know anything about him. I just really enjoyed his performance. Yeah, he's apparently not a great... De- like, apparently he hasn't like done anything. He's just kind of a shit. Mm. And I remember having someone telling me about the new the new Top Gun movie. And they're like, and somehow it got me to like Miles Teller. Miles Teller! Really? Yeah. I. For everything you know, he is an excellent pick. And I think there's nothing wrong with that suggestion. But I would prefer not to cast Miles Teller just because of how difficult he is apparently to work with. I see. That said, you haven't even heard mine yet, and that might be true about mine. But let's... Ezra Miller. (laughs) Had to. Sorry. But topical. (laughs) So 
this my particular actor has been in Glee. He was in Shadowhunters, but I'm casting him specifically. So I just saw Everything Everywhere all at once. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. And so, so I'm not going to re- uh, reveal anything about it, but he is very funny in that movie. And the character, I thought it, the character he played out, like, when they first showed him, I, I was like, oh, it's that guy. I know that guy. I've used him in I Do a Remake before. And then they just kept escalating him. And it, 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 he kept being in the movie. And it was very great. But he's a funny guy, definitely, definite leading man energy, and I just thought he was great. And so that actor's name is Harry Shum Jr. Hmm. I'm not aware of him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, like, I don't know if I can turn my laptop around when it's plugged into the microphone. No, it's fine. I'm, I, I have a iPhone here, which is not a thing they had in 1931 uh, or two. We got the newest in all of the high-tech situations. That's right, we've got two cans attached by a piece of string. Oh yeah, him. Yeah. Was he? Was he in? Uh, he wasn't in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was he? No, that was someone so. else. Sorry. No, that was someone else. Right. Sorry. Oh. I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm not. He hasn't been super on on the radar for me, but that doesn't mean you know I don't, I don't know anything about him. Yeah. So he's very good. And when you do eventually get to watch Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is streaming now. Yeah. You have, I, to, you have to give money for it. but I, I also have to have time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair. Um, thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, no. My pleasure. Is... <laughs> um, but yeah. So let's come back to those two. Because sure. I feel like they're going to kind of be the crux. But let's build the world up around them. Um, let's talk about PV, the engineer. Mm-hmm. So in the original movie, it's played by Alan Arkin. Yes, and it was wonderful. It was really good. Like I said, when I saw Alan Arkin was in the movie, I was like, "Who play? Who is Alan Arkin playing?" And it took me so long to realize it was Petey. He's so good, except for one brief moment when it's really weird and sexist. But other than that, oh, wow, it's like, oh, why would I any da- ever date anyone after this one woman? And it's fine. And then he licks his lips, and it's weird and creepy. Yeah, but everything other than that, I love. I love the character. But we both gender swapped this character, so I went with an actress who I've seen in comedies. Mm-hmm. But as kind of very together, and then you realize just how funny she is. Mm-hmm. And so I, she, I've seen her in Only Murders in the Building. She was also in High mm-hmm. Maintenance, and she was in Broad City. The actress's name is Amy Ryan. Mm-hmm. I'm loosely aware of her. Have you seen Only Murders in the Building? I've only seen one episode. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so. I think she's the cello player or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so her. I okay. thought she was fun. Who yeah, do you have? It's a fun choice. Uh, I went with, um, so in a weird way, this is kind of one for one, somebody, a Hollywood actress who's been around for a while. I chose, she kind of went away for a little bit, but I chose her because of, she's kind of got more of a, uh, just kind of like a grit to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I have uh, a pretty good idea who I, who I think you're going to say, and I'm excited to find out. Uh, I uh, I chose her because of her recent turn in the show Yellow Jackets, which is also phenomenal. If okay. you haven't seen it. Uh, I went with Juliette Lewis. That's not who I thought you were going to go with. But I could definitely see her tuning up an airplane and giving advice. And... Yeah. That's great. I'm more than happy to go with Juliette Lewis. I got no notes. I just think that's great. Yeah. We're going to do that. She's fun. She's she's excellent. Let's talk about Neville Sinclair. Sure. I went first to the last one. Your turn. My turn. Oh, yes, you did. Okay. I absolutely adore Timothy Dalton for many, many reasons. One of which being so freaking smarmy that it borders on hilarious. Yeah. And I I kind of wanted to keep that. Yeah, so, I did too. So the one person I thought could pull that off, the most British person 
<laughs> to uh, to to grace our screens lately. Um, I went with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, that's not bad. That's very good. And that that name alone is just perfect. It's for... just fun to say. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So I agree with you. Um, I also wanted someone who can kind of like capture that smarminess of the original Timothy Dalton portrayal. And so I also went with someone who in my head was kind of a one for one, mm-hmm. um, who can like kind of do the accents and is just a phenomenal actor and can like do the heel turns and all the fun stuff. Right, right. And so I went with Sam Rockwell. Oh, that's an interesting choice too. Yeah. yeah. I think both these characters accomplish the same thing. I think that's fine. I have no problem going with either one of them. Yeah. Yeah, same. Sam Rockwell's great too. And so um, is Benedict Cumberbatch. I think I think I think Benedict Cumberbatch could turn up the the smarm a little bit more. Like I just feel like he could very much be nose in the air. I yeah, I think he is I think you think of Sam Rockwell and he's naturally charming. Right. You think of Benedict Cumberbatch and he's kind of more naturally like British. obnoxious. Yeah, exactly. Well, I said British. And then you said yeah, yeah, whatever. We're, we're on the same page. Yeah. All right. I, I think you're right. But we want him to start at charming. Yes. And then... And then just slowly morph into the biggest asshole you've ever met. Yep. Which is... Yeah, by and large, what Errol Flynn is as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> by all accounts, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So then let's talk about the mob boss. All right. Uh, Eddie Valentine, which is the most mob boss name oh, yes. on the face of the earth. Get out of the way, Don Corleone. Eddie Valentine is coming. I mean, it's not like I co-wrote a feature with someone named Harry Valentine. No, you would not have done that. I 100% did that. I know. I'm teasing you. He wasn't uh, a mafia boss, though. It's fine to have a guy... We don't know that. Oh, well, all right. He lives in Glendale. That could... that We know what that means. Yeah. Glendale is... Is Glendale. Yeah. 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 He's not listening to this, but he should be. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, for that, I went... Needed to get an Italian guy. And I went with someone who's been in Sopranos. So oh. I went with uh, Rhea Bruzzo. Interesting choice. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. I can totally see that. So for mine, I needed an Italian guy who's also been in mafia shows. So I picked somebody from the Sopranos. Uh, no. I went with Michael Imperioli. Ah, almost. Right almost. there. So close. He's... I don't know. I, I always thought Michael Imperioli was great. He can go from zero to one hundred on the anger scale pretty quickly, and I think he'd make a good uh, a good comic book mob boss. You know. Yeah, you're not wrong. I don't know him from anything. He was. Uh, oh man, I can't even think of the name in Sopranos. He was. I haven't um, seen the Sopranos. You haven't. Does it seem like the sort of thing I would enjoy? Yes. It. I. You're all about the gabagool, dude. Am I? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going through his IMDb Pro, sponsored by. I think the only thing on this that I've seen that he's been in is Shark Tale. <laughs> and that's because... Why was he in Shark Tale? I don't know. Because he was a mob boy. Was he actually? Yeah. <laughs> then I feel like we gotta go with him. <laughs> Getting three in a row over here. Alright, fine. So Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Good old Howard Hughes. Tell me who you had. All right. So I went with a, I mean, and it, it's going to 
maybe be a, a little odd to choose a British actor to play such an American tycoon. But uh, I chose this actor. Uh, I've seen he's he's been he's played a few CEOs in his time. <laughs> uh, but my favorite, the reason I chose him for this is actually his turn as Robert Evans in the show that I mentioned earlier, uh, The Offer. I went with Matthew Good as Howard Hughes. Okay. And actually, if you look at a photo of Howard Hughes and you can imagine him in some heavy makeup, he, I think he'd do a good job. And also be eccentric as hell. Yeah, I've seen, I have seen this actor before, and he is very good. He was in the original Watchmen movie, too. He yeah, as Ozymandias. Ozzy, yeah. Yeah, he's also, he was also in the Imitation Game, which I saw, and I vaguely remember who he was, but remembering him as Ozymandias makes more sense. Right, right. Well, CEO there as well. So. Um, I cast someone who has a very similar look, but, I again, I went with a little bit more ability to play character and lean into the Tony Stark-ish comedy of it all. Sure. Um, I cast another tall brunette white guy, but he's also but he's been in like the other guys in Silicon Valley. Uh, so I went with Zach Woods. Oh, okay. Uh, I could I could see that too. And like, because I, I want him to have the Howard Hughesness of it all, but also just like that 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 inner sousant of the insanity of where he's going. Yeah, and that's actually also why I, I went with uh, with Matthew Good because yeah. he, in, like I said, a, a lot of it, a lot of his reason was because the offer, and he's playing a Robert Evans on a downward spiral in a amazingly comedic Stop way. Stop making compelling arguments. <laughs> it's annoying. I'll just be quiet over here. Fine, we'll go with Matthew Good. <laughs> We're not going to be going with anyone else but mine for the next one. I can promise you that. Because the next one's Bigelow. Yeah, yes, because I didn't cast it. Oh. Uh, well, I, I wanted to cast someone who was smarmy, but at the end of the day, like, had a little bit of heart. But that little bit of heart just kind of gets overwhelmed by, like, greed. Which was not the character she portrayed in the movie I saw her in, which was The Lost City. But she was just very, very funny and good. And I thought she was great. Um, she's also in Dolomite Is My Name and People of Earth. Her name is, name is Divine Joy Randolph. Did you I, see Lost City? I did not see Lost City, but I did see my, my Name is Dolomite. I don't know if I can place her face, but I am all in with credits like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's great. Yeah. I love her. She's great. And, like, obviously she would do amazing at this role. Yeah. Oh, she'd knock it out of the park. That, now, that means that as the only black person we've cast so far, maybe we don't kill the one black person. We can definitely scare her. But yeah. And well, enough to kick them off the Yeah. The error field. Like literally she can be the one who turns over our our Johnny. Sure. Like Almost in, by force. Well yeah, like they scare and intimidate her and she's the one who's like, it was probably this pilot who has it. Right. And so that that's right. why. That's what I mean. By oh, force. Oh yes, yeah. by force, yes. Um, and one of the people who's going to be doing that intimidating is our Lothor, our big enforcer guy. Oh, yeah. So for this one, Bigelow doesn't count because he didn't have that, so I'll go first. I wanted someone who, big intimidating guy, weird accent, and you can, like, character the heck out of his face, mm -hmm. all sorts of different levels. And this guy, like, really first known as being good old porn stash and Orange is, Orange is the New Black. 
He's also Master Chief in the new Halo show. But I'm casting him because of the character he plays in American Gods, which is he plays a leprechaun and he's like a seven foot tall leprechaun. And this dude (laughs) is intimidating. Okay. And so I thought he'd be fun. His name is Pablo Schraber. I have no idea who it is, but uh, sounds sounds amazing. He's one intimidating guy. Oh yes, this this guy is intimidating as hell. I right? know exactly who this is. Yeah, just had to see the face. Cool. I I I have no opposition to that, but I did have a tell cast. me who you had. Yeah. Uh, so I went. Uh, well, as I'm sure if you've ever heard me on this podcast before, you know that I like horror films. Yes. Uh, so I went with a guy who has been he's done both stunts and also a lot of makeup work he was jason Voorhees once in the friday the 13th remake okay Uh, most recently he was under all the rubber in the uh dc or is it marvel no it's dc uh dc now version of swamp thing oh yeah yeah yeah. i went with Derek mirrors because that guy is also big and intimidating and does quite well under the makeup uh, I know a lot of people don't like that Friday the 13th that he was in, but he was great in it. He was really great in it. I, oh, I've seen, where have I seen, I guess I've seen him in Alita Battle Angel. Oh yes, he was in that as well. And I feel like I, because I feel like I recognized him in that. So I feel like I've seen him in other things too. Yeah, he he's definitely becoming a character actor. Oh, um, not becoming, just is. Is, yeah, is. And yeah, so very much so. I probably would push us towards Pablo Schreiber um, simply because we have kind of a silent, scary enforcer in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can be more intimidating than that sometimes. Like, yeah, silence is intimidating. I'll give that to you. But sometimes words are too, and we've already seen silent intimidating, so let's have words intimidating. Sure. Let's do it. And then for our leads, from what we have, I think we'll probably end up going with Zoe Kravitz and Harry Shum Jr. Yeah, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. They, they are good, uh, they are both good castmates. I have no opposition to Harry Shum Jr. I just don't know his work very well. Fair enough. I'm going to get Jessica Henwick in something, because as soon as I realized that she was who she was, I was just like, oh my god, this woman needs to be a movie star. Did you have any other roles? No. Okay. No, I did not. Okay, cool. So then we got to talk about writer and we got to talk about director. Let's talk about writer first. I went first for Lothor. So who did you have for... Do you have a hyphenate or two people? Uh, I A hyphenate or two people? A hyphenate in that it's a writer-director or do you have oh, a writer no, no, and no. a director? I, uh, I have a writer and a director. Okay, great. I just have to remember who it is. So maybe you should go first on this one. Cause... Fair enough. Uh, Okay, so my writer, she did story on Turning Red. Uh, She also worked on The Wilds and wrote a few episodes of that Daredevil show that was out a little while ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. So she can do kind of like the family, like finding your new family kind of thing. And also Daredevil, the incredible action. And like kind of the character heartfelt moments of that. Sure. I don't want her to, to direct this or because she's not a director, but I want her to kind of like... Have the the heartfelt stuff of turning red while the incredible action of Daredevil. And that is a writer named Sarah Stryker. Okay. Uh, and I just thought she would be a good writer for this. Yeah. Because just because like, that balance of things just worked for me in my head. Especially considering Daredevil was such a kind of a close character to who the Rocketeer oh, yeah. becomes. It's uh, true. 
I mean, and and you know the the tone of that show could translate quite well to this. Absolutely, I, I have no opposition to that at all. I think I think she'd take it in a good direction. Um, I did find my <laughs> who was your my writer? writer? My writer, which I did not write down in my little black book because I'm an idiot. He is Hollywood royalty, but his father made did quite well writing movies like this. Uh, so and uh, he's got a great sense of humor as well. Uh, I went with Jake Kasdan to write oh, this. Oh, that's not bad. I think he'd do a really good job. In uh, it's just you know, family name is also tied to Indiana Jones. Which... Very much so. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's true. And I'm like, I am such a big fan of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Same. I love the new Jumanjis. <sighs> Dewey Cox is so good. Yeah, it's that's definitely one of my favorite. Um, of those like parody (laughs) who did you have for the director for director i went with somebody who has done quite well uh in the marvel universe uh as well as handling other legacy properties we'll say and bringing them back into the public conscious if you will okay so i thought ryan coogler would be a great director oh yeah, like um, immediately that's better than mine. That's so good. That's a great idea. Yes, absolutely yes. 100% on board. We're going to go with Ryan Coogler, but just for for the record, my writer is the writer. I picked this guy specifically for you. And I, <laughs> I don't think you even like this thing that he did, but I just thought it was funny. Uh, he's going to be the writer of the upcoming Thundercats movie. Oh, good. Uh, he also was a writer on VHS and VHS 2. Nice. And was... I'm sorry, the director of v- the director of Thundercats, director of VHS. I'm saying writer, but I mean director. Solid uh, horror and, anthologies. And was the director on Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh. <laughs> and that's uh, Adam Wingard. Yeah. <laughs> it's good action. I mean... Ryan Coogler's better. We're going with Ryan Coogler. Yeah. I'll be honest. That, he's not a bad choice, though. Godzilla vs. Kong, like, laugh at it all you want. It was a fun movie. I, oh. had a, I had a good time watching that movie. Yeah. I describe it as a bad movie, but a great movie. Yeah, it's totally... Oh, it's so fun. So ridiculously fun. It's an expensive B movie. Yeah, what, That's so all much. it is. It's, it was a blast to watch. Yeah. But... I, I would push us towards having Sarah Stryker as our writer... Yeah. Uh, if Ryan Coogler is going to be our director, um, just if our lead's going to be a woman, I'd love for a woman to write it. Yeah, no argument there. Uh, but that is our cast. So let us let me take you through the rocket tour. Wait. Two, two rocket... Ro- I mean, rocket... Two, two rockets too much. Yeah. Two rocket two tier. Mm. <laughs> hey. All right. Uh, the rocketeer. Our... Cliff, now Tiff, is going to be played by Zoe Kravitz. Our Jenny, now Johnny, is going to be Harry Shum Jr. Peavy, the engineer, is going to be Juliette Lewis. Neville Sinclair will be Benedict Cumberbatch. Our mob boss, Eddie Valentino. Eddie Valentine. Eddie Valentine. Although probably Valentino. Will be Michael Imperioli. Howard Hughes will be Matthew Good. Bigelow will be Divine Joy Randolph. Luthor will be Pablo Schreiber. All of this will be written by Sarah Stryker and directed by Ryan Coogler. That is The Rocketeer. I want to see this movie. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm so excited to see this. There's going to be this great shot of her taking off into the sky in front of an American flag. Yeah. And then lifting. Setting it on fire. Slowly lifting a Ferris wheel into the sky and spinning it around and around and around and around and just carrying it across the city. 
<laughs> uh, it's gonna be the best thing in the world. That's gonna be amazing. Like, man, I, I'm telling you, like somebody's gonna put that in a movie one day, and yeah. we're gonna be like, what the, yeah! our thing. It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna watch it. and I'm gonna love it. Yeah. Um, great. That's so, incredible. Kevin, thank you for taking the time out of your exceptionally busy schedule to do this. This My is pleasure. amazing and fun. Tell people about where they can find stuff about you. Well, they can find stuff about me on Instagram uh, at Kevin Mosteller Music, uh, or you can find me on uh, Twitter at K Mosteller Music. Uh, I am a composer. I have my own uh, website, which features uh, some of my scoring work. Uh, and that is, you guessed it, KevinMosstellerMusic.com. You got and, the IP. Hey, yeah. Or the, you got the web address. The IP. It's branding. It's well, it could be IP. Yeah, like the IP address. It can, yeah. There you go. That's what I meant. It contains IP. It yeah. has all my music. On That's it. true. And then I'll be uh, slowly releasing. I have some music up on both on Spotify and on SoundCloud, but coming soon will be I'll be releasing some of the film scores that I've done over the past few years on Spotify and Tidal. So keep an eye out for those. And uh, if you need music for your film. You can feel free to contact me at any of those places, because I would love to score your movie. Yeah, and do a really good job, too. Thank you. Like, I've literally heard some of the scores you've done for, like, horror movies and stuff, and just, like, hearing the score alone gave me, like, the tingles, and I was like, no! That is the best compliment you've ever given me. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, if you're interested in finding me, I'm on Twitter at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, or... I. Uh, instagram at ideal remake spelled like it sounds or join us on facebook but the most important thing you can do the thing i'm asking for today is to go on to apple podcasts and leave ideal remake a five-star review i know kevin's done it i have done it yeah so it's amazing it's how people find the podcast and it's a, it's just a wonderful thing for you to do for the show ideal remake is a part of the dueling genre network and so i try to promote different shows on the dueling genre network and this episode i'm going to be talking about Franchiseography, which is a show hosted by Scott Crowley and Nick Jimenez. They're currently on break over the summer, but by the time this episode goes out, it might already be back for their deep dive into the Jurassic Park franchise. But they've also done Men in Black and Scream, and they did Spy Kids, and they did the entire X-Men franchise, and they did all sorts of fun things. And I was on for an episode of Spy Kids, and I was on for an episode of Men in Black. I think this, no, I was on Men in Black 3 and Spy Kids 2, and both were great, super fun episodes, and if you enjoy what I'm doing on this show, you will enjoy franchiseography. So, Kevin, you know this is coming, so I end this episode the same way I end all episodes. What is your favorite quote from the movie The Rocketeer? Ooh, favorite quote from the movie The Rocketeer. Up, up, and away! That's definitely a, a lead. Uh, Even though it's never in the movie. It's not in the movie at all. <laughs> I was, oh, man. Now, I, like, I hate that I'm drawing a blank. One of the other problems with this movie, and probably why it didn't do as well, is because there aren't really any amazing quotes in the movie. No, there's not. However, I do think the one we opened with is... is that's it's, it. That's, that's the one. Gotta be pretty pretty strong. The the I might be a two-bit crook, but... I am. What, oh God! We, we may not always make an honest buck, or I may not always make an honest buck, but I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. That's what it was. Yes, it's a good line, and it's, it's a, more relevant now than ever. Yeah, yeah, completely and totally. Yeah, um, 
I I I'm gonna memorize it because I think I'm gonna have to say it some sometime here soon. Oh I'm, no! No, I'm kidding. Oh I'm, okay. I'm just keeping it in my back pocket yeah, yeah. in case good. I ever come across a Nazi. Yeah, good thing to have. But yeah, Kevin, thank you so much for being on my show and making me watch this awesome, awesome movie. Thank you so much for having me and for being game to watch this awesome movie. I, it was a real blast for me to revisit and talk about again, and you know, like it brought back so many like happy childhood memories watching it yeah. too. Like. It, it's not, yeah, it's, you know, it didn't age the best. But... I think it aged pretty well, all things considered. Like, there's some yeah. things that don't age well, but overall, I still think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it is a pretty, pretty good movie. And listener, you should give it a try. Yeah, you really should. I think you'll enjoy it. And we will end this episode the way it was intended. Up, up, and away! Hey!